Ann Arbor is a financial educator who is passionate both about money and in helping people. In this episode, Anne sets the baseline of separating the emotion from the math and talks about really getting to know your current money situation, money habits, and money goals. Anne also gets real with us and talks about the mindset behind fear and loathing of money, often fueled by our social media obsessions. You'll learn, maybe relearn, the financial basics. You'll learn what the number is behind credit card debt and how simply getting organized with your planning will set you up to achieving your big financial dreams. This episode is Money Talks, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's really good to see you. I think uh, we were just talking about the last time I met or saw you was when we first met and you were running a program for small businesses on how to manage money. Um, And I I loved going to that program. It was terribly early and yet I made it every single time because the key learnings from that course are are so critical um, in terms of fundamentals. Um, Maybe give a bit of your history and like how did you even end up in that room that day too? Yeah, that was a bit unexpected if I look at the the trajectory of my career. But, well, expected and not completely unexpected. Um, I've always been in financial services. That's been the the length of my career. I started off, my first real big girl job was lending um, through one of the banks. So being being a business lender. So small and medium-sized businesses and working with their owner-operators and their operating team to keep things running, be part of that that oil in the machine. So I've always worked with money and people, and then I transitioned into a different form of business financing. So it was always the common element being money and, and the people and the relationship side of things. I transitioned into the education side a bit by accident. It was a favor for a friend of a friend who was looking for a trainer in the Toronto area who could speak about money and financial basics and things like that. Um, they needed somebody, so they asked if I would fill in, and I did, and I loved it. And the rest, as they say, is history. And getting to the Credit Counseling Society was just one of those days when I decided I was looking for a new opportunity and I checked some of the postings and this one had just come up and it it spoke to me for all the right reasons. Yeah, I think it was really interesting because you mentioned there's like an education portion of it that you um, really enjoyed teaching people about money. Um, And if I'm understanding correctly, Credit Counseling Society of Canada, that's exactly a portion of what they do when you go in to see them, right? Is there's a portion of understanding your finances, understanding where you stand in terms of debt and savings, et cetera. Would, Would that be fair to say? They're really, yes, there are three sort of legs to that stool. And the first primary service that the Credit Counseling Society provides is free credit and budget counseling. So anyone who calls in, and I mean, last year, I think we took almost 74,000 calls. So it's not income. And we're just one agency. We're a large one, but just one. People have questions about their day-to-day money. This isn't how do I diversify my $4 million retirement portfolio. That should that should be all of our questions. But it's, you know, day-to-day, I lost my job for a period of time, so I racked up a lot of debt and I'm struggling now. Or my marriage split up and I don't have any credit of my own. How do I get started there? So really the functional questions of money, credit, debt, budgeting – things like that. 
We do help. We have a debt solution program that sometimes is the the right answer. Other times we're finding the counselors are working with the the individuals to find the best option. Mm -hmm. We don't lend any money or do any of that. We work with the clients to find what the best option for them is and help coach them along those ways. So out of 74,000 calls, I'm sure yeah. you've noticed, you know, a few trends or some of the basics or some of the, the real um, key learnings to getting on track. And I think one thing is we're not taught about it ever growing up. It's kind of faux pas to speak about money or money issues. Um, and so we have this really big challenge with debt and savings and so forth. What are some of the fundamental things you think people are either not understanding about their money or three fundamental things that that are the basics that we should be doing? Um, and if they're the only things you need to know, what would they be? The first one is knowing your situation. Money, there's, and it's most basic form, it's a means of exchange. It sounds very simple. But there's so much emotion wrapped up in it, and there's fear, and there's embarrassment, and there's shame. So we can talk about that. But the fundamentals are knowing exactly where your numbers are. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a math whiz. You don't have to have a multi-page spreadsheet with macros. You can have a piece of paper with your numbers written down. But knowing what's coming in, most importantly, what's going out. Mm-hmm. So tracking those expenses. We know the big ones. Rent cell phones, those kinds of things. It's the day-to-day money, the things that trickle away. And if I stopped you on the street, you know, how much do you spend on groceries in a week? Yeah, I don't know. How much do you spend going out? Those kinds of things. So knowing your numbers, tracking is a big, big deal. Having some goals and some focus to it. So understanding what else you want your money to be doing for you. And, uh, yeah, and understanding your credit and knowing what you owe to whom, what the terms and conditions are, what the penalties are, those kinds of things. Yeah, I think um, what is a really fascinating exercise too. So how would I figure out, um, you know, over my lifetime what I might be paying in interest? Because I think it's all, as to your point, when you take the emotion out of it, it's just a mathematical equation. Um, So if someone wanted to calculate how much debt they had and how much interest they'd be paying, or even for their savings accounts or um, stocks or investments, it's still a similar calculation. How would, how would you, how would I be able to calculate how much I would owe on taking out a $10,000 loan line of credit? There are all kinds of calculators, online loan calculators available. So the way interest is figured out for something, let's say like a mortgage versus a car loan is a little bit different. There's some nuances to how the, the financial institutions calculate that. But a straight up loan, you can type in and you just search the loan calculators, you can put in the, the principal amount. So let's say it's a $20,000 car loan, the period of time that you want to pay it off in, mm-hmm. and it will tell you how much interest and then you can play with those variables as well. Amazing. So the concept is it's the based on a couple of factors, right? It's based on your time, it's based on how much you take out, and then the percentage at that time of exactly. what you'll be paying back. The interesting piece to that is the credit card debt. So oh. car loans are pretty straightforward, mortgages are pretty straightforward, credit cards. Complicated by the fact that we don't typically now have paper bills. Mm-hmm. So when, in the day when you used to get a paper bill on the reverse 
are all the terms and conditions of a credit card. So understanding what the minimum payment amount is. For your card, that could be 2%. For my card, it could be 3%. It depends on how much that monthly minimum monthly payment is. What happens if you miss two payments? Mm. Your interest rate goes up. If you take a cash advance, that's a different interest rate. So all these little different bits and pieces, all that information was on the back of a statement if you chose to look at it. These days, most people are getting them online. You're looking at your due date, the amount you owe, and the minimum payment and just ignoring the rest, typically. So let's go a little bit deeper into the uh, the credit card talk, because I know this is a big one. Um, maybe break that down a little more for for us. I think that question of how much interest I'm going to pay there's a certain amount, it's a personal responsibility on that. The idea of credit and what you owe on a credit card, let's say, versus the minimum monthly payment and understanding really what that's costing you in the long run. So I know when we first met, I showed you our fun good news, bad news wheel or spinning <laughs> wheel. Um, and on one side, it gives the example. So let's say it's a $3,000 amount that you owe on your credit card, the interest rate 19.9%, the minimum monthly payment on that card, let's say is 2%, so $60 a month. How long do you think it would take to pay off $3,000, $60 at a time? $3,000 at $60 at a time? I know I'd be wrong, but I would say four years. Because you did that quick math of $3,000 divided by 60 plus maybe a little bit of interest. Yeah. Um, almost 53 years. 53 years. Because remember, it's almost 20% interest. Right. So that minimum monthly payment is really so much. It's mostly interest. So it takes forever. And then every month it compounds. So whatever you didn't pay the month before gets charged and it rolls forward like that. If you excuse me, took that minimum payment from $60 to $100. I don't think I want to know. <laughs> well, it drops it decades. Oh, oh so you're paying it dollar, off. Yeah, you save a ton of interest. So mm-hmm. every dollar over and above the minimum payment you make will save you a lot of time and interest in the long run. Look, the key is you don't put anything on your credit card if you don't have a plan to pay it off that month. Mm-hmm. If you have to carry a balance, paying as much as you can over and above that minimum monthly payment will go a long way to saving you a lot of interest and a lot of time. It's stressful carrying debt. Yeah. Do we, is, is that where we trip up is our credit card debt? Do you think more often than not, or? I would say so when, yeah. you know, though all those people that are calling us, we do keep a bit of information on the trends of why people are calling and you know, the number one or two reason in every given year is the excessive use of credit. Mm-hmm. To make just for the living expenses, the day to day, I think we've gotten away from what the original intent of a credit card or access to credit was, mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessarily for the day to day groceries to make ends meet. It mm-hmm. was for bigger purchases. Well, and speaking of that, I mean, because you know, most of the things I've read too, it's it's not that debt is necessarily a bad thing. It's what we invest it in or what it's being used for. Um, and to your point of how much you actually understand about what, how long it will take you to pay it back. You've got to have a plan, mm-hmm. right? You need, it's one thing to take it on, but how are you paying it back? 
Um, certainly, there's always philosophy that there's good debt and there's bad debt. So something like, you know, a condo in Toronto a few years ago would have felt, but all of a sudden it's a very good investment. Yeah. You know, you're, you're using credit to build something. So an investment that's going to increase in value over and above the amount of interest that you would be paying over time or student loans Mm -hmm. to get an education, to be able to earn a better salary, to have a better job, to have a better future. So of course in the long, in the short term it hurts, but in the long term it was a good investment. You've gotten more than your money's worth out of it. You know, using a credit card to buy groceries and taking 53 years to pay it off or for a vacation that you just didn't decided on a whim to do instead of saving up ahead of time. I hope it was a great vacation because it's you're thinking about it for the next fifty three years. Yeah, that's crazy. So, Putting that make perspective sure that it matches. Yeah. Um, on the topic of things like schooling and, and just um, some of the challenges, and I don't know if it's all just the media or whatnot, but there are several challenges in terms of what millennials um, are going through in terms of what they have for savings and what they have um, in terms of expenditures. Um, so we we did have someone ask, like, what are clever ways that millennials can save money when they've got high student debt, um, they live in a city like Toronto or Vancouver with high rent, um, and they still want a life. Like, so I really like what you're saying about a plan. How do they even begin to approach a plan like that? I think uh, talking to people, you mentioned before money, we don't talk about it. It is the last taboo subject. Mm -hmm. There were certain things you were brought up not to discuss and money was one of them and it remains it. It's, Again, it's embarrassing. People don't want to maybe admit that they're having an issue. Although I really appreciate that the conversation about millennials and the generations that and all the ones that follow, and I can't, I've lost track of the alphabet. Um, <laughs> too. That there's a lot of pressures for sure. And housing prices versus income and just the way, um, it's not just unemployment, but underemployment is a big issue when you're just not earning quite enough. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely a lot of challenges without question. Practical things, understand where your money's actually going. So again, I am back to basics, back to tracking. So whether you do that historically, look back at the last few months and see what you've really spent money on yeah. or make the commitment today to start tracking a few categories. Again, you know, those categories that if your grandmother asked to see what you're spending money on, you'd be a little embarrassed to show her. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to, I know I'm not a coffee drinker, so I'm not going to slag people and their lattes and all the rest of it. If that's what you want to spend money on, great, mm-hmm. but there's a choice. And none of us likes to make choices, but we have to. So understanding where your money's going. Um, I recently was reading an article about condos in Toronto that they're now, some of them are being built without ovens. So I'm guessing people aren't cooking a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of eating out going on. Take an honest look at what you're doing in terms of eating out, where the money's going. And uh, practical things, you know, if you have to live like a student for an extra few years, do that so that you can make some headway with the student loans. Yeah. I really like the concept too of like having something aspirational that you said, you know, like having a plan, but having something also that excites you that you're planning for if it's a trip that you're saving for. Um, do you find that that's a good motivator too, is even though you're going through sort of 
you know, this challenge of trying to pay off your debt is also having, you know, tucking away a little bit of money towards that amazing trip to Spain in two years or whatnot as, as a motivator? I definitely think so. And I love that you've been really specific about it because <laughs> ethereal savings for, for what it could be. I'm not even thinking about retirement. I'm not even thinking about these things this, without having a specific goal in mind. To me, a budget's like a puzzle. So all the pieces need to fit together and you need to have those four corners. So you need the roof over your head, the food on the table, the gas or bus money, the walking around money. Saving to buy broccoli and eggs is only so exciting. <laughs> Having a goal beyond that, but being really specific. Mm-hmm. Yes, to say Spain in May 2020. Yeah. Then you're focused on it and it's much more motivating for sure. It's really hard for someone who's a single person to start thinking about, I can buy that condo because now I don't even make enough to pay a mortgage for it. Like the bank won't even improve me for it. How do you, how would you advise someone if that was really what they wanted? What are some things that they could start looking into for themselves? I think you need to get creative. And I've been reading some super creative ways people are managing this, both um, as first-time buyers and also later in life. Uh, It's not easy. Again, it's going to mean choices, um, but being really focused and having that plan. And there are ways, you know, buy a place where you can bring in a tenant Mm -hmm. and maybe you're buying a duplex where you're living in one unit and renting out the other or a two bedroom type situation, or, you know, you're making a sacrifice for the first few years and living in the basement. Um, But nothing feels as good (laughs) as achieving your financial goals. And so getting creative in terms of how that can happen, I think bringing in extra money and making it's a hard slog for sure. But if that's something that you're really focused on, whether it's a side hustle, whether it's taking a look around and challenging yourself next month to maybe sell off two things that you're not using, maybe picking up an extra shift during the holidays, wrapping gifts, whatever it is, there are lots of ways to earn little bits of extra money Mm -hmm. um, and really just putting that all towards yeah. I want to go back for a quick second to something you mentioned in the beginning about sort of the emotion behind it. Um, and that's also why, you know, we have such a taboo. We've given, you know, such important meaning to this paper that is just an exchange. It's a deal. It's a mutual agreement on something. Of, of the mindset of the people calling or just of anyone, uh-huh. how, how do you walk out of a a fear mindset when you're, you know, you're scared about your debt, you're constantly thinking about it, it's keeping you up at night. What's like a few things, a few ways, and it's probably understanding your money at that point. Um, But what are a few ways that you can get to a place where you are emotionally in control of your money? First of all, understanding you're not alone. It's very isolating to understand. But I mentioned before how many calls we take in a year and how many counseling, I mean, you know, over 20,000 counseling appointments. We have lots of offices from BC through Ontario. It's not just as special as you are. It's not just for you. There are lots and lots of people of all ages and stages in the same boat. Um, You know, people with really good incomes. Debt doesn't discriminate. So 
wherever you are is where you are. Own it. No regrets. Take a look. Where you know the the questions of how did I get here? You are where you are. Take a breath, look around the landscape, and figure out where you're going next. And asking for help. There are lots of options, and the sooner you reach out for help and look for whether it's a friend, a trusted advisor, or a not-for-profit agency like ours. I, I don't mean that to be a commercial, but just those. there are resources out there for people to, who understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And turn off social media. Yes, hey? Yes. What is it it's about hard. it? Money's that thing that eh, for ages, eh, for all the ages, we use it to define ourselves. Where or as a benchmark, where are we compared to Mr. Jones next door? And those Joneses live next door to everybody, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We evaluate ourselves. We are, we either covet what somebody else has going or we, you know, think we're so, so great with ours. It's all out there. It's not real. Yeah. You always hear about people's successes. You rarely hear about their failures. Yeah, of course. And those are the good juicy ones that we want to hear about. It makes us feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't that funny? And the reason I, I'm curious about it is because like, I think we don't picture it necessarily. Like it's so subconscious that that photo of your friend on the yacht for like a week of going you know, across the world or whatnot. You just don't think about it, but subconsciously you're consciously uh, taking it in. What's the expression now? The hate liking something? Yes. <laughs> the aggressive idea of it. Yeah, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we all go home at the end of the day. And I'm sure even the most, you know, all the supermodels have their own insecurities as well. Everybody's just trying to make it. Mm-hmm. And there's some interesting, I was reading a really great book, um, Melissa Leong, Happy Go Money, okay. about the whole idea about the psychology of money. And I've been doing some other reading about it. Um, No matter what we have, you know, if I define, so I'm going to ask you, on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you? I'd say eight. And what would make you happier? Uh, Probably a little more flexibility to things I want to do. There you go. Which is fueled by having some money to do it. So what's the magic number? But I could ask you, let's say, you know, if you want and you want three times the amount of money you have but then when you get to that point you'll want more and more and more so no matter where we are on the economic scale everybody's wanting a little bit more so it's impossible to get there just if you can be happy with what you have and do you you think a portion of that too though is a understanding living within your means So even though you want more things, that's great, but like prioritize and pick the things that mean something to you. And does it also mean that, you know, you can go ahead and aim for the next bracket or the next thing, but be grateful and good and balanced with where you're at right now? I think you've hit the nail on the head. And it comes, it's a maturity thing too, right? It takes, there's a period of time where the light finally switches on where you realize you're not defined by your stuff. Well, we hope that you're not defined by your stuff, by what you have, and you're comfortable in your own skin, you're comfortable in your own situation. And realizing that that person who took the picture by the jet, you know, you can rent 
jets for Instagram shots, things like that. So we all know it and we all know these influencers and things are being paid, but still, yes, we do take it in subconsciously. Um, Yeah, getting to that point where you can be happy with what you have and where you are. And there's nothing wrong with having goals and aspirations, but not feeling that you're worthless where you are right now until you get there. Definitely. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because if whatever stage you're at, I feel like if you get it right in terms of your personal budgeting and balancing, it sets you up for that next stage because you're not going to go crazy. You're not going to overspend. You're not going to change in any way. So it's getting the fundamentals right at, at whatever level you're at first so that you can get to the next level and not lose it all, you know? I think so. And the fundamentals are key. And that's really the control issue of knowing what you've got, what the puzzle pieces are and how they fit together. Mm -hmm. And that there are some things that are beyond your control. So prices will go up. Let's say groceries will go up. You need to know that where your money's going so that even if you're not spending differently, things have to shift and you have to take a look and know where to make the adjustments. And there's a certain amount... You know, for a lot of us in our jobs, we have objectives, we have metrics, we have budgets we need to work in, we have numbers that we work so diligently towards because we're being evaluated. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that for yourself? Yeah. You're your own small business. Set your objectives, set your metrics and work towards those and give yourself a, a pat on the back at your quarterly evaluation when you meet those goals. Let's say, you know, fundamentals, we get that right and we're now ready, you know, we've got our budget and our savings and we're now ready to invest it. When someone's looking for the first time to to go into something like ETFs or stocks or, um, you know, high interest savings accounts, how does one start learning about it properly? Um, Start asking around. So ask friends what they're doing, if they're willing to talk about it. There are a ton of great resources online uh, through, there are some really no-nonsense columnists, personal, I'm at the Globe and Mail, so Rob Carrick, Tim Sesnick, those guys, just, they explain things and all of their articles are certainly online to go back. Um, Shannon Lee, sorry, Shannon Lee Simmons, mm-hmm. she runs the New School of Finance, and she's got a couple of books out that are really no-nonsense and take uh, a really modern view of things and personal finance for millennials and beyond. Um, the gold standard is The Wealthy Barber. Yes, love that's, David you know, Chilton. Yeah, that's the, the, the place to start for most people. It's great. It's a little outdated in terms of the returns and the expectations and those kinds of things, but it does set the basics. Um, but both in Shannon Lee Simmons' book and in Melissa Leong, they also have resources and um, other books to start reading. So I would say educate yourself. There are a lot of blogs. Find ones that resonate with you and read and back read and speak to people and take things with a grain of salt depending who you're talking to. Right. Right. Again, you're going to hear your best friend's husband's great stock win, but you didn't hear about the rest of the money that he threw away. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Any stock down the road. Um, but even from financial advisors. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, financial advisors and so forth, like, do you think that a person should do it on their own or have a financial advisor or what's the, what's the weigh-in on on when's the right time to even include a financial advisor? 
It's really interesting. There's also been, so uh, I have a long sordid history in financial services, but <laughs> I started off way, 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 way back um, in at a large brokerage house. I was working in the back room for the brokers. And, you know, I thought about it for a minute, if that was what I wanted to do, but it was very salesy. And I didn't like that piece that you were potentially putting somebody in a product just to make my numbers work, not because it was the best product for them. Mm. There's been a real evolution in financial advising where you don't necessarily, depending where you are, need a full-on financial advisor, but being able to check in with someone, they're now fee-only service providers. So you can, even if you've just graduated university and you're just trying to figure out the next step, or you've started to save for um, a real estate investment and you're not sure if you're on track, those kinds of things, you can book one session, two sessions, three sessions with someone just to take a pulse just to check in and make sure you're doing the right things and to address those specific goals. Nice. So if you're worried about somebody selling you something you don't need or don't understand, you can take a bit of control in terms of who you're um, consulting for those things. Absolutely. That's very cool. Like just to do a health check almost every so often. Yeah, because I think with a lot of there's to be honest, certain fee advisors would, won't speak to you if you don't have a portfolio of a certain size. Mm -hmm. So where are you supposed to go with your maybe $20,000 in savings and but still having student debt? You've got all these competing ideas and goals and obligations. So maybe speaking with, uh, with somebody else. I think there's also a misconception that, well, if this person knows more than me about my, I'm just going to turn it over to them and I don't have to think about it. There's still an obligation to understand, even when your planner is telling you where it's going, what percentage it's going to generate, how it's performing. There's a, a, still an education piece. Absolutely. And you, it's obligatory. You have to know what you're doing. If you have to sleep at night. Yeah. So just because something, an investment is right for me, doesn't mean it's right for you. It isn't a one-size-fits-all. So absolutely, as a consumer, again, if you can't explain it to your grandmother, then it's not the right investment for you. You need to understand it's your hard-earned money. Mm -hmm. And it can be really complicated, and there's a lot of gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. um, but you can, you can educate yourself to that, but you've got to be comfortable. What are your thoughts on, you know, with robo-advisors and AI coming out and being able to sort of be help manage your money that way do you think at some point with with robo advisors we're going to maybe not necessarily be need to lean necessarily on a, another person a financial advisor or what's your thoughts on where we're going that way I think it's really fascinating I think in all the financial services and everything becoming so tech-based but um, the robo advising I think there's a place for it for sure again as long as you're understanding in the background what's happening with your money I don't think it will ever fully replace humans I hope it doesn't yeah. I liken it to online shopping that's a great convenient way but we still have storefronts yes we still sometimes need especially with our money a personal connection and uh, advice that way things change mm-hmm and when things, you know, there's a quick change in your life or you need to switch tracks very quickly, um, I think having a human connection long term is important.
So there's sort of the the good and the bad and the ugly to to, to money, um, I think, and I think it's because we get so emotionally involved with it. What are some good money habits and some bad money habits off the bat that we could start looking at closely? Uh, I'll start with the bad. <laughs> it uh, well, because it only gets better from there. We're all busy, so keeping organized, I think, is a really big deal. Remembering to, I would say, open the mail, but open your emails. So when, especially with student loans, that first notice after graduation, you get, you do actually get an actual letter um, outlining the payment options. Mm. You get to choose one. If you don't choose one, they will choose one for you and it will likely be the most expensive option. So taking control, hiding your head in the sand isn't going to do anything. You have to face the problem. So that's a lot of platitudes right there. But being organized and facing up to what's going on, um, things we build things up in our heads and our minds. They're not usually quite as bad as, as they are on paper. So, And if you need some help, asking for help for somebody to figure out how do I attack this? And there are always a way. And the earlier you ask for help, the more options there are. So being aware, being organized, um, not just tossing everything into your into your inbox and leaving it there. Um, taxes, not ignoring your taxes. Really important to file taxes every single year. For a lot of people, it makes you eligible for a lot of credits or programs that you wouldn't be eligible for if you're not in the system. So depending on your income level, there's an HST refund mm-hmm. that's hundred, you know, can be six over $600. But if you didn't file your taxes, you're not going to get that. Um, and other things like that. So asking for help as well. There are a lot of volunteer tax clinics around tax time. If it's something you don't know how to do yourself, there are a lot of great online resources as well for that. So bad habits would be being disorganized. Um, impulse spending is a big one. Knowing what your trigger is for whether it's you go shopping after work when you're hungry and exhausted, so you choose convenience foods all the way or the most expensive things. Um, you haven't taken the time to meal plan or make a list. Mm. Um, if you're in a bad mood, so a little retail therapy, which you know, how long does that euphoria last? Mm-hmm. Uh, could you go for a walk instead or go to yoga instead? Is there something different? We get in habits too. Right. We always go for dinner. We always go for coffee. What else can you do instead of spending money? Mm-hmm. So knowing what your, your trigger is for. Um, we use an acronym, TEMPO. So time, environment, mood, place, and occasion. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody who tends to go a little overboard at the holidays... Maybe be organized, make a list, things like that. If you tend to buy what you think is the most beautiful artifact on a vacation and then you come home and think, what was I thinking? Just keep yourself in check. Um, So keeping impulse spending and mindless spending. Mm -hmm. Again, in those habits of constantly going for coffee, that everything you do socially maybe is around spending money. Are there different things you can be doing? And I always say the ghosts of your state, the ghost charges on your statements. So did you sign up for an app that was free or it was only a dollar and they keep charging you and you don't use that app anymore? 
but every month there's a charge on your statement. Right. All those little things that add up. Go through. Be aware. Again, be your own small business. Yes. Be responsible to yourself. Good habits. Um, checking your debit, checking your statements. So it's very easy to be mindless these days mm-hmm. with just tapping, tapping, tapping. So great habits are people who are checking um, their accounts regularly to know where the money is um, and know what they're spending money on. Yep. Setting specific goals and really working towards those. Uh, talking about it, learning about it. All and asking, habits. yeah. And I love what you said about automation too. When we talk about technology helping out, you know, having automatic payments either to your savings and to your debt at the same time, you know, every time you get paid, like it takes the the conscious effort out of that. And then having, you know, those things take care over time based on your plan for it. So. Yeah, it's really fun. You know, in the, in the old days, we used to save spare change. Now you can set your debit card to save that spare change for you. Yeah. Um, you can do all kinds of little things. Uh, and as you say, having those debt payments made, but keeping track of your progress yeah. and congratulating yourself, little milestones along the way. I think we have to be a little more forgiving. We're very hard on ourselves for the bad stuff and very uh, easy on ourselves for some of the good stuff. What's the secret behind credit ratings? Again, there's so much information and the language gets so muddled up. So just to separate it out, you have a credit, there are credit bureau, which would be like Equifax or TransUnion, where these are credit companies where all your information gets reported. Excuse me. They will produce a credit report for you. So that's, it's almost, it's like your resume with money. So you can't get a job without a resume that shows your experience. Mm -hmm. You can't typically get a loan um, or a credit card without your credit report, which shows your history with borrowing money or using credit. So it gives everybody who's lent you money before, it will each give you a rating as to whether you're a good risk or not. So if I'm the next creditor, I'm the next person to lend, you're asking to lend me money, I'll lend you money, I want to take a look at what you've done before to see if you're a good risk or not. Mm-hmm. Credit score is a different piece. That's a three-digit number from 300 to 900. The higher, the better. Um, I was always told there was no such thing as 900, although recently I was told that 900 does exist. Oh. But in the meantime, you can have very high eights in the 800s. That's fine. A lot of people are very concerned about their credit score. You shouldn't be unconcerned, but I don't think you need to be quite as, ups- it's like a number of Instagram followers. I don't think you need to be quite <laughs> as, you know, defining your existence by it. But people that are looking at your credit score are lenders, certainly. Again, it's a quick way to decide if you're a good risk or not. And I'll explain a number of factors that go into it. Um, landlords, especially in really competitive rental environments, mm. rent city, they're going to look at your credit score because because they can. It's just another way to weed out um, tenants and some employers. So depending on the kind of job you're doing, if you're looking, if you will be touching somebody else's money. So my employer certainly took a look at my credit report and my credit score to make sure I knew it. I wasn't a complete mess behind the scenes. Um, But also if you need to be bonded or anything like that. So it is important to have a benchmark of where you are. And there are lots of ways to improve it. 
and there are webinars you can take based on, you know, around that and readings and things like that. Reason, what's important, it's important to know your credit score as a benchmark, as I say, and what little things you can do to improve it. But it's also really important to get your credit report once a year. You can get from each of the two bureau, each of the two agencies for free. Um, as more and more of our life is online, you want to double check that nobody's committing any kind of fraud in your name. And identity theft is a big deal. So you, that's your, your personal credit information. You want to be able to protect that. So taking a look at your credit report once a year, just to make sure it's clean and you know what you owe, that's part of being in control again, and also that nobody's monkeying around with it. So when you pull that report, what are some indicators um, of fraud or identity theft? How would one look for those? There's a section that is called public records, and that if there are any legal filings against you. So I would look there first to make sure that there's nothing going on. Um, you look at each of your credit ratings or for every line. So for credit card A, you know, you'll be, you'll have your, your rating. So R1, which would mean you're paying as agreed, you're paying every month on time. Um, looking down and then you would see various, maybe a car loan and another credit card. If there's something on there you don't recognize. And also there's an inquiry section that shows what institutions have been requesting your credit report. Mm -hmm. If there's something on there you don't recognize, one of the car companies and you haven't been car shopping. So who is shopping using your name right. and information to try and get credit? Yeah, there are a lot I mentioned before about credit score and the factors that go into it. Mm -hmm. It's a very complicated algorithm but to break it down, if you think of it like a, like a pie chart, 35% of the calculation for your credit score is do you pay your bills on time? That 35% right there. Yeah, that's a yes or no. And that's completely under your control, right? Yeah. So automating things can go a long way. So you can really help your credit score by just paying your bills on time. Amazing. Not a day late, not three days late. Three days early. Another 30%, so a good two-thirds of the calculation, another 30 is how much you owe, so how much credit you have available. So I'm sure all those offers for free T-shirts and Frisbees and water bottles, so if you opened up a credit card, were great at the time, but having too much available credit can also be a dangerous thing for your credit score. So the two, you know, almost two-thirds of that equation is under your control to make sure that things are, are in line. What's the, what would be the challenge with having too much open credit? Why would that be an indicator? You're a risk. So, you know, if you've got four credit cards with $10,000 limits, do I really, and you might not be using any of it, but you could have a bad day tomorrow yeah. and come home with some really great shoes. Um, do I want to be the next person in the pool? Interesting. So, you know, it's got to be in line with your, with your resources. Yeah. What are some other ways that um, people can either uh, increase credit um, or are those sort of the main ways to, to get yourself back on track or to just e even uh, keep good standing? Yeah, when I say, you know, to keep good standing, you definitely want to be paying your bills on time. That's the biggest factor. Mm -hmm. We can mention, you know, having a cell phone contract, not a pay-as-you-go 
but a cell phone, that two-year contract, and making sure you're paying that. Those companies tend to report very quickly, so it can impact your credit score very quickly. Ah. Remembering what can help you can also hurt you. So if you do miss a payment, it will it will hurt you very quickly as well. The biggest thing is knowing what you owe. And if you're not using certain cards, it doesn't necessarily help you to have them. So order your credit report. And one of the credit counselors, anybody at the financial institution can take a quick look through and help you decide what's a priority and what isn't a priority. What's the website if they wanted to get the contact information and phone number? For sure. So <laughs> it's www.nomoredebts, D-E-B-T-S, yep. like most people have more than one, .org. And we have a sister site, an education site, mymoneycoach.ca. There are tons of great articles on there on all different topics. There's an online budget builder so you can work through and save different scenarios or loan calculators. There's all kinds of stuff on there that's really fun to look at and helpful. Amazing. And if someone wanted to get in touch with you directly, um, I know you're on LinkedIn. Um, would, would that be probably the best way to maybe get in touch and ask you a few more questions if they had any? Sure. I'm happy to give my email as well if you want. Sure. So it's an A-N-N-E dot... A-R-B, like boy, O-U-R, at nomoredebts.org. And we have, if you go on on the mymoneycoach.ca or the No More Debts website, we've got, uh, I'm on there. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and one last question for you. One of my favorite ones is knowing everything that you know now about finance and the wonderful world of, of money, what would you advice would you give to your younger self? Just to keep organized. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot of, especially now, I think, and it will all work out. Just, you know, that's the typical advice we always find for any part of our life. But keep organized and keep informed. Things change quickly. And what we talked about before, which is not worrying about what anyone else is doing. This is your life specifically, and, and you need to live it the way you want to. That is awesome advice. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to, to talk to us and, and especially to answer all the questions we had come up about money. I mean, to your point earlier, I think it's very taboo still. Um, I think it is getting better, but finding people who are willing to have the dialogue with you is still kind of challenging. So I really appreciate you being so open and talking about both you know savings and debt so openly and, and educating and the work that you do for other people who are trying to figure this all out is incredible. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. It is my pleasure. It's my favorite thing to talk about. So <laughs> always happy to help. Thank you so much, Anne. Thanks, Cass.